They once asked the Apostle Paul to preach a short message, and he went right through the night. And, um, of course, one of the people got tired, fell asleep, and he had to be raised from the dead. I say, I'm not as kind as the Apostle Paul. If you do fall asleep and die, I'm not going to raise you because to die is gain. I'm actually doing you a favor by letting you go on. <laughs> we don't preach enough about eternity. And uh, what we do on earth counts for eternity. And we must make our lives count for something bigger than ourselves. I do want to welcome five wonderful world-changing missionaries. Now, they may look like beautiful young ladies, but these are giant slayers. Some of them I really know well because they've been trained and educated and somewhat mentored by me. Um, and, and tonight I'm actually going to introduce them by name and let them just share one of, one of the things. They are all in the expeditions team. We have over 300 missionaries in overland missions working throughout Africa, Vietnam, Cambodia, other, uh, other groups in Turkey, Morocco, uh, Zanzibar, Mauritius, um, Amazon, anywhere else. I think I covered it. How do I know? Because I'm the chairman of Overland since it was launched and planted, and I watch their every move. They'll tell you I know exactly what's happening uh, in their lives, in the spirit. I'm very committed to Overland missions. It's one of the cutting-edge organization. Our goal is a thousand missionaries, world changes, and not just going, painting buildings and giving out shoes, but casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, and doing great works. I tell you, when I read the testimonies, these, these young men and women that are, and there's five women, we do have men in overland missions. A lot of good men, powerful men, but we've got some powerful women of God that He has raised up. I read some of the testimonies. I'll go in into the one testimony that I remember is they went into a village where there was a child that was um, tormented by demons. And they cast those demons out. They went back to that village the next day. He was playing with kids. The parents, as a result of his deliverance, got saved. The village opened and hundreds of people in that village got saved. Miracles make a difference. These, they're not just trained to go and share little messages, which is important, but they're trained how to cast out demons, heal the sick, and work the works of God. Because we are not trying to raise up a generation of nice people. We want to raise up nice people who know how to operate in authentic New Testament faith. So tonight you'll get to meet them. They're going to stay till Monday. And um, I'm so excited that they, yeah, they've traveled all the way from Dallas. But they've come in from all over the world. Um, Courtney, how many nations have you been to already? Forty nations. I've been in the ministry 50 years, and she is 10 nations behind me. And she's been in the ministry nine years? Seven years. Seven years. She has already been to 40 nations preaching the gospel. When you hear the stories, they're amazing. So welcome. 
Overland Missionary uh, World Changes. So glad that you're here. Pastor Rick always, when he, whenever he invites me, he says, we need to pray and ask God what He wants you to share. And we do. We, we seek God and we get a word and we talk about it. This time around, we felt like God wants me to speak on the subject of new wine, new wineskins. Why? Because new wine speaks about what God is doing in the Spirit. New wineskins talks about our responsibility to change, to adjust, to become a vehicle or a vessel for what God is giving us. The wine is what God does. The wineskin is who we are and what we're going to do with what God gives. How many of you, and this is not a trick question, how many of you want to be used by God? <laughs> it's kind of like, yes. Now, if you don't, you really need a miracle. You shouldn't be saved thinking, I don't want to do anything you should be like the Apostle Paul on his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. The first words from his lips is, Lord, what do you want me to do? He has just had an encounter with Jesus. And we know, or we ought to know, that we are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what He has done for us. We could not secure our own redemption. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. It's received by faith. The grace of God comes to us and saves us, and we receive it by faith. And that's the beginning of this walk. It's not the end. We are to grow, to mature, to increase, and to make a difference in this generation. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. Which is phenomenal that Jesus would confer to us His identity because He is the light of the world. And He calls us what He is. That's how much confidence He has in who we are, whose we are, and what we've been given. And He says that in that world we are not to hide our light, but we're to let it shine that all men may see and glorify God through our good works. In other words, what we do is going to affect the people around us. You are a world changer. You're a carrier of the glory of God. You're a carrier of the love of God. You're a carrier of the Word of God. You're a carrier of the power of God. You're a carrier of the plan and purpose of God because He has uniquely called you and raised you for this generation. I mentioned that when the cloud moved, Israel had to move with the cloud. They would blast the trumpet and that would cause the people to assemble and get ready because the cloud was about to move. The cloud moved with them by day and the fire by night. And when God moved, the Israelites were called by God to stay in the cloud, to move with what God was doing. Now listen, He is the unchanging God. 
the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord, and I change not. He is the Father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift, in whom there is no shadow of turning. In other words, He will not be good today and bad tomorrow. You can trust in who He is. His name is faithful and true. His reputation is embedded in His name and in His word. He is consistent. But what God does changes. Not that we forget what He has done. We build upon the foundations of what He has done. But we don't stay anchored doing the same thing in the same way forever. We will build on what He has done in our lives and there have been significant moves of God in the past. And we are all the product of what men and women have gained from the workings of God. We are the product of the cross. We are the product of the empty tomb. We are the product of the resurrected, glorified Christ. We are and we should be the product of the upper room. <laughs> I am the product of the mighty rushing wind and the fire that filled that place. I'm not a recipient of a diminished anointing. I am a product of that same spirit. But I have seen God moving in my generation. But I'm the product of Azusa Street where the Assemblies of God finds its origins. I am the product of the Great Awakenings. I am the product of the Welsh Revival. I'm the product of the Hebrides Revival. I'm the product of the Cane Ridge Revival. I'm the product of many great moves. I'm the product of Smith Wigglesworth, Amy Simple McPherson, John G. Lake. You understand, many people have plowed for what we take today for granted. Alexander Dowie. An Australian preacher came to this nation and built Zion City just outside Chicago based on healing miracles. Today, we are the product of Alexander Dowie because he invested his life. He was imprisoned, charged, sued because he dared to lay hands on the sick. There was a generation that was so resistant to the power of God that they actually took him to court to prevent him from practicing medicine. And today we can freely lay hands on the sick because of what he did and what he taught, which was the Word of God. He didn't add to it. He taught what was done at the cross. And so we are the product of our predecessors. I was in Pastor Rick's library and I was looking through his books. We're the product of hundreds of books that have been written. We're the product of great theologians that have plowed the way for us. We're the product of evangelists. We're the product of someone who prayed for us and interceded for us. You sitting on chairs that you may not have paid for. You walked on a carpet that you may not have paid for. Someone has given. Someone has prayed. Someone has stood. We are many, many of us are the product of the prayers of our mother and our grandmothers. <laughs> yeah. 
We're the product of someone that interceded and stood in the gap for our generation. I am grateful for what they have done. But right now in this generation, right now, right here, we have to assume responsibility for our generation. The state of the church is not based on what they have done alone, though we are grateful for what they have done. But we today must take responsibility for the state of the church. If the church is lukewarm, we can't blame the past. You could blame the pastor. (laughs) But you have to analyze your life and say, am I contributing to the spirituality of the church? Am I a part of the ministry team? Am I contributing to the fire of God, the intensity of what God's doing? Or am I just a recipient of it? Because everything that God gives, we then have to be partakers of it and carriers of it. Many people want what God can do for them, but they don't want to assume the responsibility of what can I now do with what I've been given. Paul says, you've been comforted, now comfort someone else. That which was delivered to me, I give to you. Freely you have received, Jesus said, freely give. If you don't give away what you've been given, you just become a house for it. And eventually you'll become spiritually obese. You have to release what God gives to you. Having been touched by God, you carry the power of God. He didn't say, go and stay in Jerusalem so that you can be endured from power from on high, that you can just have good meetings. After speaking in tongues, that glory took them into the streets of Jerusalem and 3,000 souls were saved. What they received broke open a city and a nation to the move of God. The man at the gate called Beautiful, his healing, his miracle led to 5,000 men being saved. You understand? Everything God does for us is for us, through us, to someone else. We, as a church, right here, affect the spiritual climate of this city, of this state, of this nation, of this world. When we pray, something is happening in the spiritual dimensions. When we prophesy, something is happening in the spiritual dimensions. When we preach, something is happening in the spiritual dimensions. This isn't just affecting you, it's affecting the entire atmosphere. So we have to understand that we are carriers of the great work of God in our spirit being. Now you can be a spectator or you can be a participant. You can be the one receiving ministry or you can become part of the ministry team. There's nothing wrong with starting to spectate. Spectators came, but they were saved when they saw what God did in the upper room. They came, some criticized, some questioned, and many received. There's got to be a way in. Come in as a spectator. But once you are saved and filled with the Spirit of God, you must become a part of the team. In fact, if this is your church, 
and God has added you to this house, you should not have the right to be a Sunday morning deadhead. Just coming as a mere formality. You have got it wrong. This isn't a meeting. This is a way of life. No one should ever enter anything that God is doing superficially. When you give yourself to God, you don't give some of yourself to God. He says, present yourselves a living sacrifice, your entire being, your body, soul, and spirit on the altar of sacrifice. You never give God the leftovers of your life. You give Him the best. Every sacrifice had to be without spot and without blemish. You don't give yourself half-heartedly to God. It is unacceptable to Him. There is an acceptable sacrifice and there is an unacceptable sacrifice. The acceptable sacrifice is sweet-smelling and it is accepted and well-pleasing to God. There are many people today who are missing what God's got for them and they blame the preachers, they blame the state of the church, they blame God. Some people have the audacity to blame God. But they are prayerless, they are wordless, they are carnal, they are messed up. And they point fingers of criticism, putting responsibility to someone else. Well, they hurt me, they let me down. Well, you know what? You better get over it. Because if you don't get over that pain, it will rob you of your destiny. Because you are the custodian of the fireplace of your heart. You have to take personal responsibility for your spirituality, your faith. You can't turn around and say, well, the pastor didn't teach me. Study to show yourself approved. We will do our best from our side, but you have an obligation to do the best from your side. Come on. Someone said, well, the church is so unfriendly. I said, well, you go be the best friend to everyone in the church. Before you criticize someone for being unfriendly, you go be the best friend there is in the church. Someone said, well, the church doesn't pray enough. I said, well, why don't you start a prayer movement right in your secret place and show them how it's done, big mouth. The church is unloving. Oh, yeah? Well, let's see your love. Why don't you change the church through the expression of your love instead of pointing fingers of accusation? Become part of the solution. My team, no. <laughs> they cannot write to me with something wrong in the ministry. Well, they can. But I say to them, there's always something that we can change and do better. But don't you dare write to me and say, this isn't done right, unless you include a paragraph of potential solutions. Because we've got too many people finding fault, but not coming up with solutions. Let's be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. It's true, the church needs change. I don't think we are where we ought to be. I think 
the latter house should be greater than the former. I think we should see way more miracles, healings, deliverances, salvations. But guess what? That's going to mean everyone's got to be all in. It means everyone's got to be a part of that. Here's the thing. When the cloud moved, the people had to get into the, the cloud. If they didn't get in the cloud, guess what? They stayed in the desert and they would die in the desert. Their provision was in the cloud. Their protection was in the cloud. The, the, what God was doing was found enveloped in the presence and the atmosphere of God. How many of you would love to see a great revival shake this region? You can have it. Heaven is wide open. You know why you don't see the full expression? Because people don't give themselves to it. You can, it's one decision away. You say, that's too simple. The heavens are open. They will never be shut. And all you have to do is just start worshiping, preaching, laying hands. And if everyone got involved, the atmosphere would change. And expectation would start to influence your family, your friends, strangers, and everyone will want to be a part of what God is doing. It's that simple. A life touched by God is contagious. We've all just a couple of years ago went through the COVID scare. And it's true. It was highly contagious and affected many families, many lives, many businesses. Can you think positively if, if a disease could do so much damage to the world? In days, do you remember it was like days from the first case to nations shutting down? In days, could you imagine the positive aspect if God starts to move? How quickly word will spread! A few months ago, there was a college, was it Wheaton College? Asbury, Asbury College, where God moved. Some students got locked into the presence of God. Some were being delivered, changed, healed. Within days, they shut the city down. They could not accommodate the traffic. I want you to hear me by the Spirit. Word spread so quickly that students were being touched by God, that their parents wanted it, their family wanted it, preachers wanted it, ministries flew in from all over the world because they wanted what God was doing. Do you think it's possible for that to happen? Yeah. I said, do you think it's possible that God can do something significant that word would spread into this community and people will want what you've got. I was a young preacher. Long hair. So cool. Cut, ripped. 
great surfer, spiritual on fire. And Sharon's uncle, Dave, great uncle, Dave, came to our city as an evangelist, Dave Smithhurst, and he preached in my city where I was the youth pastor. And overnight, about 700 kids got saved in different colleges and schools and found themselves coming to the school youth pastor. Overnight, 35 kids became 735 kids. And then people started flocking in, including your dad, 14-year-old surfer who wanted to see this surfing pastor. He came in, got saved, set on fire. And now today, nations are being touched through his life. The, the point that I want to make is, when God begins to move, everyone wants it. People flew in from all over the world to be a part of those meetings. The meetings got so full that I had to separate the adults from the kids. Even parents were dressing up like teenagers trying to slip into the youth meetings. I'd say, I see right through that wig, dude. Because there was no space for them. It wasn't that I was trying to be exclusive. There was no space. And I'd say to the kids, which is just ludicrous, you cannot come to church on a Sunday morning. You come from 8 o'clock to 9.30. And then you have to go home. You cannot stay because if they stayed, there would be no place for the adults. Go home. What a thing to say to people. And when the doors opened for church, every seat was taken in seconds. Have you ever seen when they speed up like ants moving into an area and they just, you know, you see that. Or here's a cool one to go on. Go and put, show me a traffic circle in India. And you just watch motorbikes, cars, trucks, elephants, wagons, people. They just merge and it's this, this movement of people. That's what our church looked like. When the doors opened, it was full. I'm walking here. I don't actually like standing behind things. I like moving. <laughs> the other day I was preaching and this guy says, it's like watching a tennis match. The reason I do it is I like eye contact. I'm not speaking to a crowd. I'm speaking to you. So I want to look at everyone in the eye. So um, I couldn't do that. When I preached, I had to stand like this. Because we had wall-to-wall -wall people. Every inch, we put cushions on the ground so that people could sit and be a part of the meeting because there wasn't enough chairs. And as many as were in the building stood outside the building because they were hungry for the move of God. That was 40-something years ago. <laughs> and now, Asbury jammed. They had to shut it down. They just, the streets couldn't handle the traffic. The hotels couldn't handle the traffic. The restaurants couldn't handle the traffic. Eventually, they, they had, if you were under a certain age, you could come, come in. 
the oldies were left out in the, outside the skirts of the city. And then they had to stop the young people getting in because they, the college was falling behind in its work, which I think personally was a mistake. They should have just shaken the world. But I would have said, as the dean, I'm going to give you doctorates of spirituality. Go and win the world. I would have just loosed them, but that's me. Um, but it shows the hunger for God that is in this nation. People say this nation, its God is secular, um, uh, secularism, and it is. But it's just because the church has been void of power. So they've been, effect, they've been offended. They've been hurt. They've been disappointed. And some have been led, many, by the devil out of church. And they can point fingers of accusation, and I think there's some truth to it. But at the same time, they're actually looking for reality. And this city deserves a real move of God. And your pastor wants that. And you want it. And you cannot afford to be a spectator. You've got to be in the cloud. The new wine of what God's wanting to do must be embraced by new wineskin mentality that says, I want what God is doing. And I refuse to be a spectator. I'm going to jump 100% in. When the Spirit of God moves, you can quench it. You know, there's that scripture, and I know I'm not exegeting it accurately, and your pastor is such a great theologian. I have to watch everything I say because he just goes through his filters. I know him. I've, I listen to him. And you probably know him even better than me. He just analyzes everything. But you know, there's that scripture, two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. That's exactly what happens in revival. Two will be sitting in the same row. One will be touched and one will be untouched. Not because God cannot do it, but that the one touched is new wineskin and the other is old wineskin. And they are resistant, quenching, because they're afraid to jump in. Because they know there's compromises in their life and they actually like what they are doing more than they want God. Everyone wants change until change comes. <laughs> I remember one day <laughs> a friend of mine, he was praying, he said, God, please change me. And he came to me and said, God's killing me. God's killing me. I said, that's true. Because he wants you to die to self. And there's so much of you. You asking God to change you. The way He's going to change you is you have to die to self. And you, you pray for change. And then when God begins to do it, you say, what are you doing to me, God? So it's very easy to say, change me. Fill me. But are we willing to embrace the change of God? We are all creatures of habit. I am. I think I'm flexible. In fact, I have a quote. I have a scripture. It's my one. It's not from the Bible. 
but it's my way. Blessed are the flexible, for they will stay in the mission field for life. <laughs> if you're inflexible, you are going to be disappointed because things never quite work out right. Blessed are the flexible, they'll stay in the ministry a whole lot longer than the inflexible. I, in fact, say my middle name is Flexibility. Leon Flexibility Van Royen. But I'm really not. I'll go to a restaurant and I, they'll give me the menu and I'll look at it, but I'm actually not even looking at it. I know exactly what I want in that restaurant and I'll order the same thing every single time. Hand me do the same. Any of you? I go to the same hairdresser for 20 years. Not that I have a whole lot of hair to cut, but I go in for that 20-minute little talk with Alberto, and we sit and chat, and uh, I, I've supported him from the day he opened it to this day. And I like him, and I like the way he cuts my hair. I just keep going back. I've never even considered someone else because I'm a creature of habit. When I go to the airport, I have an exact route that I drive because I know that suits me the time it takes me to get there, 27 and a half minutes. I can be at the airport in 27 and a half minutes if I follow that route. And I hate it if there's like an accident or something blocking my route that I have to find an alternative because it's my route. How many of you can identify with what I'm saying? <laughs> Blessed are the flexible. I dress the same way every time I preach. If you have a look at the picture of me, I've got blue jeans, a blue shirt, and a navy blue jacket. I now have a another jacket that I've added to my blue repertoire because it works. I can pack blue shirts, blue jeans, black socks, black shoes, and one or two different jackets. I've got blue one, a blue one, a blue one, and this one with blue in it because it works. At home, if you look at my closet, I've got gray t-shirts. <laughs> and then when my wife buys me a t-shirt that say white with a, a logo on, like because I like outdoors, she'll be, buy one with a, a compass or a, or a camper or something. I actually act as if I like it. I hope she doesn't get this. I'm like irritated because it's not gray. I have a habit, <laughs> and that is every time I get some new clothes, if I buy a jacket, I'm going to give away another jacket. If I buy shirts or three shirts, I'm going to get rid of three or six shirts because I don't want to clutter my closet. That's my routine. But the other day, my wife bought me some new T-shirts, which I like, so I took out some of my gray t-shirts and I folded them and I put them in the stack. They're too good to use as car cloths. You know what I'm saying? So I'll, I'll at least go to Goodwill and give them away. They're good, but it's my law. I'm not going to have my closet cluttered with clothes that I never wear. So I'm a minimalist. What I have is usable. I don't keep stuff. My garage is spotless. There's no junk in it. If I don't use it, it's gone. 
Um, so, and I'm not a clean freak. It's just I love order and stewardship. So I got rid of my gray T-shirts. I put them in a stack. And I looked at that stack, and for the first time, I'm like really struggling to give them away. They're like still lying in the corner waiting to be given away because I'm flexible, but not that flexible. I discovered when God begins to move, you can tell whether you a new wineskin or an old wineskin. How can you tell it? Because if you start whining, you're an old whiner. Well, he went too long. We always get out for 12.15, but now it's 12.45. It's too long. It's too short. It's too loud. No, what you are is an old whiner. I was so irritated. My lunch was going to be 30 minutes late. No, the problem is not the lunch. The problem is your belly is your God. You're more dominated by your appetite for your body than the appetite for what God's doing. We start to criticize the very thing we pray for. God, we need miracles. We need healings. Do you realize that it may take some soaking and some changing and some growing to get to that place that we can handle that intensity of the flow of God? That God's not going to give something to you that you are going to mess up with. He's going to change you to handle the weight of that holy thing, that holy entrustment. We pray... And it's right that we pray for a move of God. But do we really want a move of God? Lord, change me. Why are you killing me? God, we need revival. Why are the meetings so loud? Why are they so long? Why is there emotion in the meeting? I liked it in the good old days. I'm from a nation called Zimbabwe. I was born there. I grew up there. It used to be called, formerly it was called Rhodesia. When the nation was handed over to the government, the populace, there was so much corruption, so much violence, so much killing, that many of us whites had to flee for our lives. We took nothing with us. And they say of Rhodesians that when we... When you get to, at that stage, the airport was called Jan Smuts. It's the, the airport in Johannesburg. The difference between a Boeing and a Rhodesian is when they get to the airport, the, the Boeing stops whining and Rhodesians keep whining because they keep talking about the old days. And it's the same with many Christians. They can only talk about what God did, not what He's doing. That's the language of the old wineskin. God's calling this church to change. I'm very impressed with the stage, with the carpeting. The seating was changed last time I was here. I was looking at the, the decor, the, 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 the order, the new drums, and, and it's really beautiful, the camera in the corner. 
it looks really good. But this is one level of change. But it's really your pastor's got a vision to grow, to expand, to increase. And there is. It's the year of double. You've been prophesying it. You've been making it your declaration. Increased uh, attendance. Increased finance. Increased anointing. Great. We do need to go double. We need to increase. We need to expand. Increase means change. Everyone, we need vision. Vision is change. Salvation is change. Discipleship is change. Everything we do in the ministry is about change. If you come to me for counseling, which you should never do, I'm the worst counselor possible. I wouldn't come to me. I'm like so mean. I say to people, you come to me for, for counseling. Okay, here's the conditions. I will meet you as pastor. I will counsel you. But you will not leave my office without a book to read, a series of teachings to listen to, and assignments to do. Because I can't change you, only you can change you, and God will work with you as you open your heart. And yes, the other thing I, I, I add to it, don't worry, that's the, the kind part. I want to see your church on Sunday morning. And after church, I want you to walk up to me and say, I'm here and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lay hands on you every time you come to church. And I want you to tithe, and I want you to give, and I want you to have a devotional time, and I want you to get into the Word, and I want you to live for God. And if you can't do that, you're wasting my time, and you're wasting your time. You say, well, that's a whole lot of laws and rules. No, if you're not a tither, your life's never going to get to the full potential and possibility. If you're not willing to study the Word, you'll never get full breakthrough because you'll be limited by your understanding and lack of understanding. And faith comes by hearing and hearing or studying the Word of God. So if you're not willing to study the Word, if you don't pray, you have not because you ask not. And you, what people want is a counselor just to sit and vomit on their desk all their hurt, their pain, their, their stuff, but they don't really want to change. They just want to put it on you, that you come up with a quick fix. There is no quick fix. Counselors bring change, but change requires work. I'd say, I'm the worst to come for counseling. I used to tell people, I wouldn't come to me. But if you do, I will work with you until you've got complete 100% breakthrough and change. I will not leave you. But that's the condition. If you will do that, I will give you my entire life and ministry. I will work with you until we get the full breakthrough. Why? Because you can't walk together or work together unless you be in agreement. And so I want agreement. And everyone wants a great move of God and a great church in the city. You need agreement. And that is, I am going to change and move with what God is doing. I'm not going to be resistant to it. Let me read the scripture for you. Not as if I haven't quoted about a hundred scriptures already. Matthew chapter 9. This will be our foundation for tonight and Monday. In verses 16 and 17. 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The new wine, when Jesus spoke about this, was the message that he was bringing that would be a major shift from how they knew knowing God, worshiping God, following God. The pharisaical mind had become so legalistic that he was coming with a doctrine based on grace and faith and the pursuit of a personal relationship with God. They wanted mere ritual and formalism, and that was how they based it. And he was coming with life. And there were two laws in operation, the law of sin and death, or the law of the Spirit and life. They wanted the law of sin and death. They gloried in dealing with sin and laws and religion and tradition. And he came to give them life and life more abundantly. And he was saying, listen, you're not going to get this in the old wineskin. In fact, with Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. In other words, you will need to change to accommodate what I've got for you. You can't get the message of grace in the old Jewish mind of formalism, ritualism, and tradition. It's going to be a heart-to-heart relationship with God. And so he brought a radical message that would demand, he said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. No one wanted the cross because it represented pain, death, and the death to the old, and the embracing of the new, the resurrected life. New wine represents the new thing God is highlighting at that moment. I was a young believer, full gospel church. And um, a, a Jewish man by the name of Bert Singer came with Ruth Heflin to our city. And they came and they introduced dancing before the Lord. I was young. I saw the word, how David danced. I saw how they worshipped Psalm 149, 150, many other illustrations that they shared. And, and I thought it's quite funny that a man by the name of Bert Singer would come bring in a message of dance. When your name is Singer, you should talk about singing. But... Um, he was, a, he was a Messianic Jew. He loved God with all of his heart. And they introduced dancing before the Lord. So I was part of a full gospel Pentecostal church. And Sunday morning came and we had been in special meetings and I decided to dance before the Lord. Well, the pastor freaked out. Just totally freaked out. And I was trying to be submitted. And he said to me, you can't dance, that's Old Testament. I said, well, we raise our hands, we shout amen, we, we, 
we worship in so many ways that I've seen in the Old Testament. You don't have a problem with that, but you have a problem with this. <laughs> so he actually conceded. He agreed. He said, you're right. He said, however, could you please not dance around the communion table? <laughs> I said to him, what, a, what, what would be the greatest way of celebrating I was blind, but now I can see I was lost, now I'm found. If that man went walking and leaping and praising God because of his miracle, I'm celebrating the provision of the cross, the body, and the blood. Today, churches dancing is normal. Little kids were dancing, flag-waving. People fought for things that we do. Alexander Dower, you are going to plow the way for a future generation. You know, when, when the joy of the Lord manifested in holy laughter 30 years ago, how many of you got that? How many of you received some joy and breakthrough? I did, and I'm like South Africa conservative. I don't show a whole lot of emotion. It challenged me. In fact, I didn't even like it. I would, I would have been resistant to God. I was a Pharisee when it came to that. I, <laughs> I looked at it and I said, to myself, I don't like this. If it's a true move of God, people get saved, filled, healed, delivered. What's this laughter, running, shouting, falling? It's just emotion. So a friend walks up to me and he says, Leon, what do you think of this? And I was about to say, I don't like it. And instead of that, I had premeditated, I don't like it. Instead of I don't like it. Out of my spirit came. What I think is of a no importance. What does God think about it? And I went, whoa, I'm in trouble with head office. Because I didn't premeditate that. God spoke to me through me. I was both the prophet and the donkey at the same time. I, I fell on my face right there in the foyer of the church. I said, God, the problem is not this joy and laughter. The problem is Leon Van Royen. You doing something, and I'm blinded to it. I'm like the Pharisees who spoke about the coming of Messiah, that knew all the prophecies of the coming of Messiah. And even though you lined up with all the prophecies, they couldn't recognize it. I'm a Pharisee. I went into 80 days of prayer and fasting, seeking God for a breakthrough and a change in my life and my attitude. Even though God was using me in other dimensions, I realized that I'd grieved the Holy Spirit by criticizing what He was doing. Eighty days later, the power of God hit me so hard and elevated my life and ministry to a whole different realm. As a result, I've touched hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, seen healings and miracles and breakthroughs that are beyond description through that encounter with God and through that joy. People say, how do you work so hard and you don't get exhausted? Because I am filled with the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is my strength and energizes me. I laugh every day as a way of life. I have natural joy and I have the joy of the Lord. I can keep going. I'm a machine because I'm energized in the Spirit. And people criticized it. One, one man said, this is from the devil. I said to him, the devil can't give stuff away. The devil is a thief. 
He doesn't give joy. He takes joy away. I said, in fact, he doesn't have it to give away. You can only give what you have. When they said silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, they had something to give. The devil doesn't have joy. He knows misery. He does not know joy. As a result, he causes misery and pain, sickness, disease, and poverty and destruction. He doesn't know the realms of joy. I said, the devil doesn't give joy. He doesn't have it to give. The Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. I said, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness more than his companions. I said, there's enough biblical evidence to see that joy is from God. But I had to fight with old whiners to get people filled with joy. Someone said, oh, it's emotionalism. I said, the difference between someone who's alive and someone who's dead is called emotion. When you're dead, you have no emotion. Emotion is not bad because the Bible says there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. Two sides of emotion. No one has a problem when they weep, but they have a problem when they laugh. I said the problem is not the laughter. The problem is you. And this was my exact words. You are old wineskin. I didn't win friends and influence people, but I was as, bad, as direct as I could be. One pastor got up on a Sunday morning, and he had prepared a whole dissertation on this joy is from the devil. And he got behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning, and his opening line was, this joy, and he fell behind the pulpit laughing. He never preached. I was in the same city, and I heard what had happened to him, and I was preaching that night, and I said, there was a pastor in the city who, and we were having a joy breakthrough. I said, there's a pastor in the city who had an encounter with God today, who said his plan was to say, this is from the devil, but God filled him with joy, and it's funny how you can criticize it until you get it. Yeah. <laughs> It's always the devil until you get it. Then it's no longer the devil. <laughs> when you get it, it's God. When someone else gets it, it's either the flesh or the devil. And while I was sharing this, this guy sitting, raising his hand. And because I was an old life God, I said, I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. He said, it's me. He came to the meeting that night, and he came and he shared the story, how God had filled him with the joy, even though he had been an old whiner. You know, Paul was against the church until the Damascus Road encounter. He became a part of God's plan and built churches and raised up the work of God. You're always against it until you're in it. And I want you to be in the move of God. To be in the move of God, you've got to be a new wineskin. Stand with me. Let us pray. Woo! Yeah. Is that a woo? Because I'm finished. Or woo! I want to be a new whiner.
Yeah. I was preaching one day, and I said, I'm, I'm going to close. And one lady went, praise the Lord. I said, your timing is just miserable. <laughs> timing is everything. <laughs> praise the Lord is good. When the preacher says, I'm closing, and you go, praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> How many of you recognize that you want to go deeper in God today? I wanted to preach today. My whole aim was to give you a spiritual appetite for change. How many of you felt that happening in you? Praise the Lord. It's <laughs> so good to see you, bro. We've got to catch up. We need change. This your pastor said it in the leaders' meeting last night. The church is not leaving planet Earth in defeat. We are going to be overcomers, powerful, world changers. The church Jesus is coming for is not decrepit, old, miserable, burnt out of shape, down in the mouth, feel sorry for yourself kind of people. He's not coming for victims. He's coming for the victorious world changes, powerful, full of faith, full of love, full of vision. We'll not be looking for an escape policy. We'll be looking to accomplish all that God has given to us. We'll have a blessed hope, but we are not trying to avoid an escape. We want to make our lives count for something bigger than ourselves. We want to see people saved, healed, delivered, filled, changed, and grown up. For that, we've got to be a powerful church. As individuals, we must take responsibility for ourselves. Together, we must all take responsibility for the state of the church. This is not just a personal walk. It's also a corporate walk. So don't just take responsibility for your spirituality, take it for all of us as well. Now, here comes the Leon part. All the heads are green. What are you going to do about it, dude? Are you going to fold your arms and say, let's see what God does, or are you going to jump in, boots and all? I'll close with this story. I'm preaching. In South Africa, God's using me powerfully in revival throughout Illinois. Great moves of God. They invite me into a meeting in my home city where I come from in South Africa. They rent the university. The place is packed. I get behind the pulpit, and there's this huge move of God. Just things start popping. You can feel when the atmosphere changes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? God begins to move. Suddenly, there's a guy in the front row. He just dives into this carpeted area. He dives. And he starts swimming. Well, it looks like he's swimming. And I know him. He's a, he's a well-known top leader in the nation of South Africa, spiritual leader, super conservative. That's why I was like so shocked because I know him. Dives in and he's swimming. Others start running and just diving into the front carpeted area. And I'm standing there, and I see nothing. I feel, in fact, I, I didn't even feel anything. I, I could sense the change, but I don't preach by feelings. I preach by faith. 
I operate in the move of God, not by feelings, by faith. I prophesy, not because I feel it. Sometimes I feel God, but at this stage I feel nothing. I'm like standing normal. Eventually I'm a little confused because the excitement level is extreme and I feel nothing. So there's a guy sitting near me on the stage. They had a whole lot of leaders. I go over, I say, dude, what's happening? He says, can't you see it? I said, see what? He said, the river is flowing. People can see the river. I said, no, I'm just the man of power for the hour. I see nothing, feel nothing. So I just went and I ran and I jumped in the middle of the people and started backstroking by faith. Because the last thing I ever want to do is get to a surf spot and say, you should have been there yesterday. When God's moving, I'm going to get in it. I refuse to be there a day late. I want to be the tip of the spear. I want to be on the cutting edge of what God's doing. I have been serving God in full-time ministry 50 years. I refuse to be an old whiner. When God begins to do something, I'm going to be there jumping in. I'm never going to say, I don't like it. I'm going to say, God, please give me the grace to embrace. I will check it out like the Bereans. Does it line up with the Word? I'm not going to be naive. But if it lines up with the Word, I'm jumping in it. If I don't feel it, I will get in as if I feel it. I will be a part of it whether I feel it or not. And if I never feel it, I will still embrace it 100%. Because we don't walk by feelings, we walk by faith. If you are on the fringes and you need to become a part of what God's doing in this church, in this nation, it's time for you to step up your spiritual game. If you've been like superficial, it's time for change. If you've neglected prayer, neglected the Word, neglected church, neglected spirituality, you don't really live for God, you believe in God, but listen, dude, devils believe and they tremble, you're not even trembling. Get some works with your faith that prove your faith. Believe and tremble. Believe and get involved, get engaged. If you're on the fringes, looking in, it's time to jump in. I had to jump into what I couldn't see, what I couldn't feel, because I refused to miss what God's doing. This is the hour. God's doing something new. Don't be an old whiner. Be a new wineskin. Who wants to go deeper in God?